So today's gospel is about leadership. And I think all of us have had different experiences of leadership throughout our lives. Um, we've had everything from maybe bullies to good leaders to narcissistic leaders to you know, all sorts of different things. Remember, when I was in primary school, I don't have very many memories of primary school. This one, this one stands out, and you can, I think you can probably see why. Uh, one little lunch break, uh, a guy by the name of Sean Meany, who was, you know, Meany by name, Meany by nature, uh, came over to me and says, Carl, give me your lunch money. And I said, no. So he proceeded to sit on me for all of small break. And, uh, and that was that. That was, uh, that was Sean Meany's leadership style, uh, where if you didn't do what he wanted, he sat on you. Uh, he was a big guy. Did I mention that? Uh, so <clears throat> so you know, we've had experiences of, of people who push their weight around. <clears throat> Hopefully in our lives, we've had experiences of, of good leaders too. Leaders who know how leadership could be or should be. Very interestingly, uh, even in the business world today, there's a thing called servant leadership. So if, if you do uh, business philosophy, you'll come across servant leadership, right? And what, I was just looking it up today because I found it very, very interesting <clears throat> because this wasn't even a thing uh, when I was in school. It, it kind of came out at the end of the 90s, right? Servant leadership, right? So I was just doing a bit of research as to where it came from. So this guy called Robert K. Greenlee. If you're smart, always put a, a letter in the middle of your name. I should go by Father Patrick P. Cahill. <laughs> anyway, so if you're smart, put a, so he's uh, Robert K. Greenleaf, and uh, he read this book by, I won't go into the too many details, but a guy called Hesse. Uh, he wrote this book in, in, in uh, 1932 called The Journey to the East. And in this book <clears throat> of The Journey to the East, it was telling the story of, of this uh, kingdom, and there was a servant there called Leo. And, and Leo was a servant just like every other servant, right? <clears throat> so he'd do the, the work in, 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 the, in the kingdom, in the palace, whatever it was that was entrusted to him. And one day then when Leo wasn't working there anymore, the rest of the servants discovered that their roles were kind of falling apart. They didn't know what to do anymore. There was no kind of leadership. They discovered that even though Leo was a servant just like them, he was a servant leader. And so by his example, he showed them what to do. He set the bar, set the tone, so that everyone, everyone else knew their place, knew how, knew how to do what they were supposed to do, and what to do, and when to do it, because of Leo. Okay? <clears throat> so this Robert K. Greenleaf develops this whole business philosophy uh, called servant leadership which then becomes very popular at the end of the 90s, and then all sorts of groups take it on and it develops. Servant leadership is what Jesus was speaking about 2,000 years ago, right? 2,000 years ago. I mean, it's, it's, it's so clear. He says, you know that among the pagans, their so-called rulers lord it over them, and their great men make their authority felt. It is not to be like this among you. No. Anyone who wants to be great among you must be your servant. And anyone who wants to be first among you must be slave of all. That's servant leadership 2,000 years ago. You know, it's very interesting how we think we're actually discovering something at the end of the 90s, uh, which Jesus has very, very clearly said an awful long time ago. <clears throat> so, so leadership, I guess see, we, we inherited probably a somewhat Victorian understanding of leadership, which is you've got your haves and your have-nots. You've got those with power and you've got the tenants. You know, it's, it was very much a two-tier a two system, which we inherited. 
<clears throat> also, I think in a way, unfortunately, it might have bled into the church somewhat, that you had those who had power in the church and those who didn't, and then you say, oh, it was all the clergy. No, even within the clergy, it was the same thing, that, you know, the bishops might have lorded it over their priests, but then the parish priests would have lorded it over their curates, and then the curates would have lorded it over the laity, or whoever it may be. Point being, everyone was suffering from this stupid system. You know what I mean? Because it's not, it's not what the Lord asked for. It's not servant leadership. That's dictatorship in smaller degrees, but it's dictatorship. And I was thinking then, so who, who, who do we have like as good examples of servant leaders? And there are many, but I just want to very briefly take two. Uh, you might have heard of uh, Sister Claire Crockett. So this wonderful girl from uh, Derry, so north of Ireland. Incredible Derry accent and uh, Derry humor and low buckets of personality, right? Just loved acting, loved <clears throat> speaking, was very lively. Every, everywhere she went, she was very popular. Uh, she was the center of attention, <clears throat> popular with the lads and all of that sort of thing. And on a retreat <clears throat> with the home of the mother, uh, sisters, she felt, she felt something, she felt a draw. She felt a draw. But it was only the beginning of something until it was the, the veneration of the cross on Good Friday then at this retreat when she saw the cross and she realized that, that Jesus did all of this for me. And she, she, she reverenced the cross, she kissed the cross and this, it just really struck her. This is, this is how much I'm loved. And so she met the, the founder, Father Raphael, at, at a later date. And apparently the way he tells the story is that she approached me with a cigarette in one hand a bottle of something in the other. I'm not sure if it was alcoholic, whatever. And she goes, Father, I want to be a sister. <laughs> and, and I think he saw in her massive potential, even though the exterior was like, are you kidding me? Um, <clears throat> but she went on to become an absolute servant leader. So she was sent to various missions. But her last mission was Ecuador. And Ecuador was, was, a, tough, was a tough mission for many reasons. Obviously, a lot of poverty there but also in the school where she was working. Uh, you know, lots of kids, loud kids, as, as they're wont to be, uh, but she also would suffer from migraines, right? So you have to go into a class full of 20 or 30 kids, all screaming and roaring, and then you take out your guitar and be louder than them. All right, guys, we're going to sing. <laughs> and off you go to try and reel them all back in, you know, uh, with, with a migraine. You know, and then like she'd, she'd just say to one of the other sisters, I just have to go for a sec. And she'd nip out and the, her face, the color would drain from her face and she'd go to the bathroom and maybe even vomiting with the, with the, the pain of, of the migraine. And back into the class saying, all right, guys, off we go. Let's go out into the yard now. And, do you know, so leading by service, leading by her service. And then there was a, a flood there. So you imagine you're in the school, you're trying to make your classroom as nice as possible, trying to keep everything nice and ordered, you know what I mean? Everything nice and symmetrical and colourful, little charts on the wall, ABCs, and your grammar, you know, all, all your, your Irish grammar and all those kind of things, as I'm sure she was teaching to the Ecuadorian kids. Uh, and then in comes this flood and mud and rubbish and leaves and dirt and the whole thing. The, the flood subsides and... You... All right, let's get cleaning. You know, out, out, and in you go with your buckets and... and, and, and shovels and just shh, flush it all out you know like tough going just physically very very hard and shortly after that there was an earthquake and she was in the school 
with some of the novices, so from the home of the mother, and they were actually conversing about, you know, what do you think heaven is going to be like, interestingly? And uh, then the earthquake hit, and she was killed. But the legacy that she left, as one of the, the, the priests from the home of the mother says, she never spoke so eloquently as when she was buried under tons of rubble. She had absolutely been a servant leader and led with her life, led with her example. So much so that, that you know, people are fascinated by her, and, and rightfully so. She's, she's just a, a wonderful modern-day saint, but a servant leader. And if we can get to the heart of servant leadership, what is it? What's at the very heart of servant leadership? Why would we serve? Why would we put ourselves down in order that others might, might rise? Why would we do that? Servant leadership, ultimately, is motivated by love. It's because you love. It's because you love, you serve. It's because you love, you want to see the other rise. It's because you love, you're actually willing to be, to be walked on. So that someone might get from where they are to somewhere better. And this is the example of Father uh, Emil Capone as well, uh, uh, the most highly decorated U.S. military chaplain, who in the Korean War, uh, if you've ever seen um, Saving Private Ryan or, or Band of Brothers, either of them, uh, both of these series, they show something very, very interesting. And it's, it's the soldiers kind of all backed up against a wall or backed up against a tank or backed up against something to try and take cover. And your army chaplains are out there, unarmed, no bulletproof vests, going around giving the anointing, giving absolution. And the, next, and like the chaplain has to be on the front lines. He has to be where the bullets are because that's where people need him. But you're unarmed. Like you, you, and you're there running around anointing people. This is what, how Father Emil Capone was. So in the Korean War... <clears throat> the North Korean uh, communist forces were joined by a quarter of a million Chinese communist forces who just ran through the country. And uh, Father Emil was, was captured. And yes, so there he was, like, on, on the front lines, anointing, blessing, consoling, pulling, physically lifting people out of ditches and out of bunkers and trying to get them to retreat. And he's overrun by all of these uh, communist soldiers. And again, he's unarmed. So then this, this soldier walks over to uh, a guy called Father uh, Sergeant Herbert Miller, who's on the ground injured, and he's about to shoot him. And uh, Father Emil, unarmed, goes over, pushes him away. says, no, you won't. <laughs> he must have been half Irish. Uh, right? And, uh, and the, the soldier's standing there going, you unarmed just pushed me with my rifle. And just kind of stunned by this man's courage. Okay, so he orders him to get into line anyway. <clears throat> so Father Emil picks up Sergeant Miller and is forced to march with him over 40 miles to a concentration camp. Along the way then, Father Emil is picking up other soldiers, walking with them, lifting them, anointing them. And those who couldn't make it were, were left, were left behind. In the camp then, Father Emil... They were given a kind of a, a bird seed. It's called millet. It's, it's an awful kind of a thing to eat. I think ordinarily you'd probably boil, the, boil it quite a lot. Uh, but it's, it's rough. It tastes like, it's like, it's like sand. So it just goes through you. Like. So this, this was their, their nourishment. Like, and it was, it was awful. So he found a way then of 
he would, uh, he'd find, he found some steel, right? Managed to kind of fashion it into a kind of a pot and would boil the stuff for them. And he would sterilize water and wash their wounds. And he'd sneak out of the camp and steal from... It. He was a priest, but it, it was, these are exceptional circumstances, people. Don't, don't judge. Okay, so he'd steal uh, food to, to, so that the, the other prisoners would not die. He would also give his own rations to them. And it didn't matter if you were Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, or atheist. He served everyone. And so, one, on one occasion then, uh, he's, he got a, a bad blood clot in his leg <coughs> and uh, became very sick with fever. And the communist soldiers saw this as their opportunity. They had tried to take him to re-education classes before where they try and indoctrinate him on, on communist ideology, but um, he would actually laugh at them and, and contradict them. It was very amusing for him, I would say. Uh, they hated him <coughs> because he gave hope to the soldiers. And on the Easter Vigil, they couldn't have the full Easter Vigil, uh, but they would sing. They would sing songs. And so, as I say, Protestant Catholic Jews, and they're all singing. They exulted. They're all singing the Salve Regina. They're all singing together. He, the communists hated him for his servant leadership. And so when he got sick, then they saw this as their opportunity to take him to the hospital. The hospital was um, an area where people were taken and not given much help. Let's just phrase it that way. So they were, they were left there. And he knew this, this was the end. And all the other soldiers knew they would never see Father Capon again, who they called Padre. They nicknamed him Padre, their father. And so as he'd been taken away, he blessed the soldiers and he blessed the people. And he said, brothers, I'm going where I've always wanted to go. Pray for me, and when I get up there, I'll pray for you too. And so two years later, when the camp was, was liberated, uh, the soldiers came out and they erected a cross and put on it a crown of thorns made from radio wire. A Jewish prisoner of war made the crown out of love for their padre, out of love for Father Emil. So Sergeant Herbert Miller lived to tell the tale. The soldier that, that he picked up who would have been instantly killed by, by the communist soldier. And he, so he recounted all of, these, all of these details about Father Emil. Servant leadership is love. That's what it is. And the greatest example of servant leadership that we have is Jesus himself, who gets down into the mud below us in order to lift us up. It is he who stretches out his hand to the earth where we are, and the other to heaven <coughs> where he wants us to be and is nailed there so that we can walk across his shoulders, his wounded shoulders, in order to get to heaven. That's servant leadership. That is love. And that's at the very, very heart of our faith. Always has been if, we, if, if we'd only seen it. So for us today, each one of us, each one of us can be a servant leader. It doesn't mean uh, having extra power granted to you. It just means whatever, whatever influence you have, love there. If you're a student at school, if you're a housewife, if you're working, if you're teaching, if you're an engineer, whatever it is, love there. And let us not be afraid, if, if it has to be the case, that people might need to walk across us in order to get to heaven. 
we witness to the, to the love of our faith. We witness to the selfless heart of Jesus in everything that we do. And so we ask the Lord to renew the church and indeed renew our world, our families, through servant leadership. Amen.